0: And came ready. All right. Well, we are uh, in this little three-week little mini-series focusing on three verses in the Bible. We've we're gonna uh, we've been looking at First John uh, chapter two. So if you have a Bible, just open up to First John. It's way in the back. Probably work from Revelation and then kind of go towards John. First John chapter two and. Uh, John is writing to this, this letter circulated to many churches. It wasn't just to one church. And in this kind of uh, part of his letter, he is talking about how love for God and love for the things of the world cannot simultaneously exist in the human heart. Either we're growing our love for God and our love for the world is decreasing or our love for the world is increasing and our love for God is on the decline. That is the nature of the spirit of the world versus the spirit of God. They are diametrically opposed to one another, and they are on a crash course towards uh, when Jesus comes back. But uh, this verse that we focused on last week, 1 John 2, 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And we looked at, do not cherish, do not have affection or take pleasure in the evil world system over which Satan rules. So this is the love that the Father hates, our love for the world. And we're going to dive in on the second verse, verse 16, and uh, let's pray before we do. Father God, thank you so much for your word, and I pray that, Lord, you've prepared hearts to hear this word before today, that God, Lord, this is a word that we all need, whether we are not following you or, God, we followed you for decades. God, I pray that you would put your fresh anointing and grace on this word for us to hear what your Holy Spirit has for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to read this kind of whole passage that we're focusing on and then dial in on verse 16. Whole passage, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Today we're going to focus on verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life does not come from the Father, but from the world. These three phrases are kind of broad, overlapping categories to describe what it means earlier in that all things of the world. It's the things that are opposed to God. And uh, well, we'll break these down and kind of define each one, Uh, it's really hard. They're not completely delineated categories. They overlap. And so John is trying to describe what it is about the spirit of the world that captures us. What's the thing that the world offers that hooks us, that hooks our imagination, that hooks our hearts? And so he uses the word lust. Lust is a desire to take or consume for your own selfish purpose. That is what lust is. Lust of the flesh speaks of desires stirred by our physical or emotional Needs and uh, lust deceives us. It leads us down a path, it gives us promises of what life could be like. If you just do this, if you just give in to those lusts, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, if you just give into those, we find ourselves going down paths we never thought we'd go down. And we kind of wake up and we say, well, well, how did I get here? It's because you've been led by your flesh. You've been led by your natural state of being. And it's inescapable. So what, is it, what does John mean by the lust of the flesh? These are insatiable appetite to indulge in pleasures that inflame the flesh that we rely on instead of God. It's the things that we kind of turn to when you've had a bad day. When... Drama is emerging out of your life and maybe acutely and it comes upon you suddenly and your heart turns to some common things that most people turn to. The scripture refers to the flesh as the urge within us that wants total autonomy, total autonomy and rebellion that loves being our own little gods, accountable to no one, responsible to no one, obeying no one, running our own little worlds to suit ourselves. It's the continual tug in each of us that fights to keep from being wholly devoted to God. The lust of the flesh drives us to be takers and consumers. That's what lust does, take taking and consuming. Um, we're not servants and givers, how God designed us. It's the exact opposite. We're takers and consumers. We think that taking in and consuming... find wholeness. If I just get that one thing, if I just get that one car, that one house, that one woman, that one man. So what are examples of the lust of the flesh? Well, it's the American life. (laughs) How do you reduce it down? It's, it's, It's all over. It's in our comfort life, our desire for that comfortable life. It's Lust of the flesh is found uh, when, that, when that stress hits. Do we, what do we turn to? Do we turn to booze or drugs or porn to get that thrill that we're actually living? When we're actually numbing ourselves to the things of God. Even food. I'd be probably on this whole list, my biggest nemesis. Is uh, it's it's usually it's the things that God gives, good gifts that God gives, that we take and extrapolate them out well beyond God's design. So God designed sex for a good thing. Sex is a wonderful thing. Sex brings two people together to make one, so that they, through their life, can create family not just natural family, but spiritual family, that that they're creating a community around them that's family. But when we take that outside of God's boundaries, all sorts of evil ensues. And we're seeing that in our culture. And so we can take a good thing like food that we need every day and we can turn to it instead of God to satisfy our hearts. What's your turn to? What's your turn to in the things of the world? How about the lust of the eyes? This is covetousness. This is wandering eyes wanting something continually more. This is wanting more money, more fame or influence. It's seeing that maybe someone else, what someone else has, and idolatrously wanting that for yourself. If I had that, life would be whole for me Jesus uh, is in his sharing of the parable of the soils, talks about there being four soils and one of those soils was a rocky soil and his, in his commentary of that rocky soil he says that the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches tend to blind people tend to choke God's life out And it's interesting, that phrase, the deceitfulness of riches. Why is it deceitful? It's because it warps a person's discernment to the point that he or she believes that they're living for God when they're really still living for the world. 1 Timothy 6 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That desire plunges us. And if you haven't seen people around you get plunged into this, it's time to look up. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And probably in that condition, they'll blame God for bringing the one, the one bringing pain. But no, it's your life that is consumed with the love for the world and in your pursuit of pleasure or wholeness outside of God, it will lead to pain. It'll lead to pain. There's, a old, uh, there's an old story. Some of you probably heard this. But uh, there's an, uh, in the Inuit people, uh, Eskimos uh, up in Alaska and northern Canada uh, they have a particular kind of old-school way of hunting uh, if you they they were hunt they, the a typical typical animal that they would hunt would be wolves and so uh, in order to uh, get the maximum value out of that wolf the the, the pelt had to be unpunctured uh, and so to get the maximum value they came up with a little solution and what they do is they take a knife and they dip it in blood and then they freeze it and then they dip it in blood again and they freeze it and they do that numerous times to where now this blood is completely covering this knife and they anchor this knife in the ground and when they anchor that knife in the ground the wolf comes along and it smells the blood and it starts licking that frozen blood and starts tasting that delicious blood that it always feeds off of and as it as it starts going after this blood knife sickle it begins to start cutting its own tongue and so it starts tasting its own blood and they get more ferocious because they're thinking they're getting to the treasure of this thing but in eventuality it dies of its own self-induced cuts and they die and that's exactly how the enemy brings us he offers the thing that our flesh craves but as we go to that and turn to that we start cutting ourselves and we wake up and we find that our soul has been given over how about the pride of life While the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes refer to desire of what we don't have, the boastful pride of life refers to sinful pride over what you do have. It's the vain mind that thirsts for man's approval and applause. It's the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. It's the desire to be better than others so that you can glory in yourself and in your accomplishments. It's priding yourself and your own confidence, your own swagger. So the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the enemy has always offered these things to mankind to deceive them and to keep them from discovering who they really are. Like we said last week, the world is an aggressive evangelist to capture us, to control us, to then corrupt us, well, these are the tools he uses. The world's awful anti-trinity, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. As John writes here, he might be alluding to the very things that captured Eve and Adam in the garden. For we see in Genesis 3, 6, when she saw that the tree was good for food, pleasure, pleasant to the eyes, I want that, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, pride. Not coincidentally, we find the same flavor of temptations that we see when Jesus is tempted by the enemy in the wilderness. Make bread for food. The same temptations over with Eve, with Jesus, with you and I. Since the beginning, this is what the deceiver has always offered. So what does the life look like of people that kind of give in to this lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life? What, is, what, would, be kind of the, what would their life look like? Galatians 5.19 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. John's not, or Paul in this Galatians, he's not, he's being crystal clear. These sinful attitudes and actions are primary manifestations of the evil world system in which we live. And listen now, they are irresistibly appealing to a broken person. Irresistibly. Like a moth to a flame. Just irresistible. It's in their wiring, in their DNA. So however that magnetic light of the world's evil system offers us, it usually ends in chaos ends in brokenness and it ends in destruction. Now there's five things that can never happen to the flesh. I love this list. There's five things that can never happen to your flesh. Number one, the flesh cannot be changed. It is rebellious, it is non-submissive flesh that can never be transformed into submissive, obedient flesh. God's method of dealing with the flesh is not to change it, but condemn it and to crucify it. It's not cleaning up your act, it's dying to the world. The flesh cannot be reformed, it cannot be corrected, it cannot be restored to purity. That which is corrupt remains corrupt. Number three, the flesh can never be trained. It refuses to change its ways. (laughs) If you've ever tried to fight off, you know, your old habits, it refuses to change its ways. It's immutable. The flesh is incorrigible, incapable of being corrected. The flesh cannot be improved. It always remains as it is, depraved, corrupt, wicked, sinful, evil, anti-God, rebellious, stubborn, proud, whatever adjective you want to add. Number five, the flesh cannot be reconciled to God. It has and always will ever be opposed to God. It can never be at peace with God. Instead, that there's a constant war. And if you read Romans 7 and 8, Paul talks about this war within our members very clearly. But our flesh will never be at peace with God. God can never be brought into harmony that which is out of harmony with His Holy Spirit and holy character. And it's not that the flesh will ever be in any sense improved. The flesh in the oldest, most deep, loving Jesus Christian, his flesh is as wicked as the worst person in the world. And it's unredeemable. And it must be put to death at the cross. Mankind's only remedy to break the power hold of this evil world system is through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Redeemer of heaven and earth. Many want to be rescued by God but they they want it on their terms. They want the Lord to solve their problems, but they don't want Him making any demands on their life. They ask God to do something on their behalf miraculously, but they're unwilling to live in submission and obedience to His Word and ways. They want God to take away their troubles without having to relinquish their pleasure-centered lifestyles. They want the victory of Calvary without the cross of Calvary. However, in God's economy, death always comes before life. For it seems that the spirit of the world has wormed its way into the church by trying to marry the gospel with the American dream. This version of Christianity makes no demands, it expects no sacrifice, and it yields no eternal rewards. The lion, in Ju- the lion of Judah, has been anesthetized, declawed, and defanged, and we've reduced the Almighty to a harmless icon we passively honor in our busy lives. American Christianity has become so so satisfied with the substitute gospel that people no longer hunger for the real thing. We eat just enough junk food to not have hunger pangs and we walk through life starving. It's because we're feeding off of the thing we were never designed to feed off of in the first place. Paul warned that in the last days many who claim to be followers of Christ would in fact be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness yet denying its power. I follow the form. This is this is this is to honor God, I follow the form. No, God, I don't need that. You're on the wrong train anyway. get off the train, repent, come into the kingdom of God so I can give you my spirit, my life that comes at the cross. You've got to fall out of agreement with our love for the world and see it for what it is. It is the demonic safety net to capture humanity. And you and I have to wake up to the reality that not only is that coming after you and I every day, it's coming after everyone around us. And so God's like, who are my people? And I, I was just kind of reminded of Isaiah Isaiah 6, and when God calls Isaiah, and it's God's voice, and it's like, who will go for us? Who will go for us in this generation? And Isaiah's heart's like, God, here's here's send me. Send me, I'm ready. And that's what, in my heart, that's what I want us, the church, to be. It's like, God, in this generation, send us that God, you give us the courage, you give us the wisdom, you give us your Holy Spirit and life so that we can offer something different than what the world is offering. Righteousness, peace, and joy. But how can we call people to Jesus to break their allegiance with the world when we ourselves are still bound by our love for the world and what this evil world system offers? And so this prayer cry of David that we find at the end of Psalm 139 is just so appropriate for us and God illuminating in our hearts. God, is there any real estate that the love of the world has in me? God, I pray that you would point that out. Search my heart. And this is what David said. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's having a heart to say, I want all that God has for me. I'm done playing this Ride the Pine play the middle, cowardly life, I want all in with God, but it comes at the expense of a death, a death to the world, a death to your love for the things that it offers but let me tell you, once you experience the Holy Spirit it covers all the things that you were looking at into the world and it comes with actual wholeness actual God actually fulfills his promise that I'm going to make you whole And so for us here, I feel like the Lord's just asking, is there any love in the world that you have, my son and daughter? If there is, bring it to the cross. Bring it to my cross because it's only there that it's going to die. And in exchange, I give you my life. Stop trying to fight this battle alone. Give it to me so that I can give you the strength, that I can give you the ability to Be who you who I've called you to be, and to do what I've called you to do. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for this strong word by John. That God, our love for the world and our love for you cannot simultaneously be growing. And so, Father, I pray that Lord, this lust of the flesh, this lust of the eyes, this pride of life that has captivated almost every generation of all of humanity. Wide is the road to destruction. But God, I pray for us here that, Lord, this narrow path, this path of the kingdom, this path of death to say, God, only in you is life. There's nothing that this world can offer that can fill the hole and the brokenness in me. It's only you, Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, if there's any love for the world in us, God, that right now, God, we take it to your cross. And, God, we say, here, we hand it to you. We relinquish control of this. Father, we just repent of get, get, turning to that and giving into to that. Lord, Lord, we know that it numbs us. We know that it draws us further away from you, but, God, our heart's still just drawn towards it. So, Father, I pray that right now, in the name of Jesus, God, that you would break those patterns over our life. Establish new ones that turn to you, that turn to your word, that turns to your Holy Spirit, that turns to other godly people in their life for what they need in their soul. So Father, I pray that we would just affirm our love for you, that God, we're your people, and that God, we are going to pursue our love for you. And we're going to continually, as your Holy Spirit illuminates it in our heart, God, com- continually just fall out of agreement with the spirit of the world. Because, Father, it's deceptive. And, Lord, I, I, uh, I pray against an arrogance that think we can never be deceived. Hmm. I think that there's an arrogance in us that we don't think we could ever be deceived by an enemy that has been been living millennia deceiving humanity. And so, Father, I pray that you would put guards on our heart and our spirit. God, I pray that you would put friends and trusted people that are your people in our lives, God, to keep us anchored in you and keep us getting deceived by the enemy, deceived by our own flesh. And, Father, may we be your people in this hour, in this generation. God, we need... You need your people to rise up and be bold and be courageous. So, Father, I pray that you would stir that in us and make that reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. with that, go be the church, go love on that world, the people in the world. Amen? Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.